Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. couple seconds and then I go, hey, hello, uh, we should be live. So hello and welcome to Detention from the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and tonight my guest is Craig Campbell. You know him as Nerd Burger Games on Twitter, the uh, designer of Murders and Acquisitions and the uh, in-development game Capers, amongst other things. Um, Caleb? Caleb. Caleb. Sorry. Can I be Caleb? You, you can be. Uh, welcome Don't to the show. I'm really tired. <laughs> That's okay. Hello, I'm Craig. Yes, I am uh, the owner uh, and, and lead designer at Nerdburger Games, recently LLC. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Officially took that leap so that now I'm legally protected if somebody wants to come after my dozens and dozens of company dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. I did that the same thing for a catacon just in case, you know, if someone gets hurt, someone falls down the stairs or whatever. So we have to have insurance through yeah. the... Company, through the organization so uh, i'm an llc as well so short mania 444 is with us hello um so anyone who's new detention is our weekly talk show here at the rpg academy the idea is that we're here after hours in the hallowed halls of the rpg academy uh with some uh, hooligans ne'er-do-wells academaniacs if you were uh who have been bad and they need some guidance and some structure and that's what we are here to do um so we have a few kind of sections that we go through it's all kind of loosey-goosey talk format uh, we try our best to interact with chat if anyone's listening and wants to talk with us uh, and at the end we'll do a question and answer so if anyone is uh, out there watching and want to ask us some questions feel free but we will start as we always do craig not Kaylee. yes craig, what are you thinking tonight <laughs> oh i'm boring I have the Coca-Cola Zero, Zero Sugar, the new version where it now says yes. Zero Sugar, which doesn't taste appreciably different to me. So it's doing the job. Well, there you go. Uh, Panda Death, or sorry, the Panda Death says hello. Hello. Uh, hello as does Jared and Targris. So it uh, looks like we got quite a few people jumping in. So. I'm, can I just mangle all these, these uh, net handles, oh. as they used to call them? I, I'm absolutely going to do that as well. Uh, so for myself, I'm af I'm actually two fisting it tonight. I have water oh. and an L8, so <laughs> I'm I'm going hardcore this evening. As I was mentioning to Craig before, um, I am extremely tired. I got almost no sleep last night. I I actually I wanted to leave work. Like I, I if you follow my Twitter, like around twelve, I'm like I just want to go home, but I don't have any time left. I can't. So I suffered through till four. I came home. I'm like Val, can I please? take a nap she's like of course and then the kids go crazy of course so i got zero nap time uh so i'm just hanging on by a thread but we're gonna we're gonna get through it we're gonna have a good time i'm, I'm here with you i'm i'm, I'm in this with you brother 
<laughs> you and me all, all night. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, so we usually start after the drinking segment uh, with extracurricular. This is where we talk about what we've been up to the last few days, weeks, whatever. doesn't have to be gaming related, though it often is. Uh, I'll start with you, Craig. What have you been up to? What do you want to talk about? Um, well, quick plug. I mean, I've been rolling up on tour to Kickstarter sometime next year. So I've got like a little preview edition of capers that's going to be coming. That'll be, be, that'll be available in the near future. I'm sure I'll find ways to uh, let all the Acaticon people know. I expect to have it with me at Acaticon. Okay. And again, that is news as well. It's somewhat mm-hmm. recent. You're coming to Acaticon. Yeah. And I wanted to thank you actually like publicly here on the uh, internet we- uh, radio waves, video waves. Um, I, we had originally talked about me coming and I was kind of like, ah, I got so many things to do. I've got some conventions to go to and traveling to stuff takes a little, you know, little extra money and, yep. you know, extra planning. And I was just like, well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pass this year and I'll go next year. But this year I'm going to go to a, a thing that's happening in North Carolina and I'm in Atlanta. So that's a, that's a, a drive. You know, I can do that at a drive. Um, and then you went and complicated things by as I do. contacting me and saying, Hey, we'd like to invite you as a special guest. And I was like, I can't say no to my first invite <laughs> as a special guest um, outside of, you know, just like local conventions, small, you know, small local right. stuff. I've, I've done a few of those, but like, you know, traveling somewhere else in the country um, as a guest, because, because you want me there. So I, uh, I think I crunched numbers and I was back to you in like two days and said, all right, let's do this. Yeah, it was pretty quick. But yeah, I mean, again, we, we sell a catacon here a lot. I don't know that we need to do it anymore, but sure. it's the type of place that I, I, it's the convention that I want to go to. Like that, that's what I, that when I put the energy into the catacon, it's the type of place that I would go to because I want to have fun and that's what I would have fun. And you are absolutely in our demographic and I'm happy to have you there. I'm happy to have all of our special guests. Uh, we're, our event listing is starting to fill up. we got over 180 events now. Uh, we're going to have a ton of stuff to do. We're going to have some entertainment events. we got at least one improv show. We have a live game that uh, the DMs Block crew, along with Gnome Stew, are going to do, and they're going to stream it live. Uh, we're going to have Geek Wars Live, which is a, a podcast like a geek trivia. Uh, I think somebody's trying to organize karaoke. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a good time. Uh, <laughs> so anyone who's not yet uh, thinking about going or, or has decided that might, please consider. It will be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it will be a lot of fun. I'm also looking forward to it to be over. As I was talking to Craig, I am burning midnight oil, candles at both ends, whatever metaphor you want to use. I am really tired, but I, I think I've still got my hands wrapped around all of it. Uh, so I, I'm, re- I'm ready to go. I just, I'm ready to go. So but I kind of interrupted you there. So anything else you want to talk about that you've been up to the last couple of weeks or so? And this was something that was actually on my list and I was going to mention because I'm a big fan of the show. And then I saw you mentioned a little something on Twitter. So you can actually be directly involved in this is there's a, there's a show on, uh, is it on NBC? Good place. Mm-hmm. I don't know the network. I watched it on Netflix. Right. Um, the first season's on Netflix. The second season just started. Um, it was a 13 episode first season. It's one of the most clever cleverly written cleverly paced um clever ideas for a, for a um a comedy i'm i'm loath to call it a sitcom yeah um, it is it is a it, i mean it is a comedy built out of situations that characters are in but it's much more in the veins of stuff that you see on uh, like hbo and showtime with the half hour dramedy you know like the right. comedy kind of um it's you know it's not in front of a studio audience it's a single camera um 
and it's really clever and really interesting written. It sounds like you watched the first season and we're debating about watching the second season. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I thought, which I love Kristen Bell. I think she's just so funny. Um, so I'd watch her basically do anything. I thought the show was real well written. It was very clever. Again, the idea was something I just was, it was, it was intriguing. I uh, got to the season finale. There's a bit of a twist. I don't want to spoil anything in case anyone hasn't watched it. Uh, um, this is this is the way I've been describing it. It does something that a sitcom never does. And then I've it, now watched it, just, it changes the premise. It it does, which I thought was interesting. In a way. Uh, and then I've watched the first episode of the season two. I'm not I don't know where they're gonna go. And and that's yeah. not a bad thing, I guess. I mean if, if they can surprise me. But my fear is I, I think I know how it's going to go. And if it does, I don't think that's going to be great. And I, just, I don't know how they can sustain it. Like, I don't think they can keep doing it again. I don't, well, I don't think that's going to work. Love, love the show Lost or Hate It. That show reinvented itself every single season successfully. Every season was significantly yeah. different than the season before. Um, where they just they, they took things in a whole different direction. They had the core conceit and they took it in a different direction. There are showrunners and creators out there that can do it. And I'm reasonably sure that the guy doing this can because he's the guy who was behind Parks and Rec as well, which reinvented itself in the last season. I feel like that was like him taking a shot at doing that with a show first. And now he's doing a show that's going to be constantly reinventing itself. Nice. But we'll see. Yep. Again, I, uh, I'm going to going to stick with it at least a few more episodes because yeah, I'm still enjoying it. It's, it's, it's not like it's, I don't enjoy it. I'm, I'm afraid for it. It's 13 half hour episodes per season. It's not a huge commitment. That's the nice thing too. Yeah. Uh, so Targris was talking about Lost uh, was lost on him uh, when, <laughs> when he realized that the writers had no plan. I, I actually no, disagree. Right, writers, writers never have a full plan, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> what my understanding as some dude who does not live and work in Hollywood is that uh, they had a plan, but then because the show was so successful, the network's like, you've got to make more. So then they kind of had to keep making stuff up and that's where things got lost in the weeds. Like if it had only been like three seasons, I think it would have been fine. But when they had to get it to eight, I think that was the problem. My well, it was, it was six. And, and yes, that's exactly what happened. You'll see, you'll see the, sh the shift, the show shifts about halfway through the third season because that's the point when the network committed to a certain number of seasons and episodes and they knew what they could do for like, okay, here's what we've got left. Here's where we need to go. Um, yeah. It's, it, it runs all over the place through the second season and the first portion of the third season. But there are some but, individual um, episodes of that show. that are just brilliant. I mean, beginning to end, just brilliant. Uh, the Faraday cage or like the constant, I think is the, the one. constant that, that episode is just Brilliant. Beginning to end. I loved it. Might be the single best hour of television ever. For, if you were invested in the show and you knew the characters, yeah. it's a great episode. For me, the, the best one hour of TV, 44 minutes commercials is uh, Out of Gas, Firefly. I, That's a good one. I could watch that. I don't care what's going on. If I see that out of the corner of my eye, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to watch it every time, forever, and always. How about the third to last episode of Breaking Bad, the episode titled Ozymandias? Uh, I watched all of Breaking Bad. I don't remember that particular episode, though. That's where it all really happens. And then the last two episodes are the kind of the denouement and wrap-up. Mm. 
yeah. without giving anything away. That's that's kind of the beginning of the end of the show. So Breaking Bad again, I loved it, but there were a couple episodes yeah. in the middle that I, <laughs> I almost stopped watching. I was like, this is it's just I, it was like lost to me. It's like they they are trying to stretch this out. They don't need to just get on with it. But yeah, I got really frustrated. I think it was in season four. That's uh, when they were in the underground bunker with Gus. There's a whole lot of that that could have just been cut out. But yeah, that's you know, to each his own. Absolutely. But it, they produce a lot of great episodes. There's 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 a few stinkers in there. Yeah. Yep. But again, their their batting average is really high because a lot of those yeah. episodes are amazing. Um, beyond- yeah, Targus mentions Babylon Five. Yeah, I know. I haven't watched the whole thing, but I know that amongst the fans, that is. A beloved show for having other than that one season where the where the, where the network said no 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 more you know yeah because I, I guess uh was it michael straczynski is that his name mm-hmm. he had a plan for a certain length for the show to run and then the, and then the network demanded one more season and so that kind of messed things up when, when are they going to figure out that that doesn't work i mean like is there ever a time where there's enough evidence of hey this was great until you effed it up that the people would stop effing things up They'll realize that doesn't work when it actually kills the ratings for a show. You know, as much as people complain that this season or these episodes or whatever wasn't so great, people still watched it. Yeah, that's true. Suicide Squad was a garbage dumpster fire, but it's still everybody. Everybody went to look at that fire. Yeah. I remember uh, (laughs) I I went into Suicide Squad saying, well, this cannot be worse than Batman versus Superman. And I walked out going, yep, sure could. It's off. <laughs> All right. Uh, so as for myself, again, I, everything's a catacon. Pretty much everything yeah. I do right now, live and breathing is a catacon. Um, I got to see it. Oh. Um, really good. I, I've read the book. I, I actually really enjoyed the miniseries. I, th- I thought it was a really well done for Stephen King adaptation miniseries back in like I don't know, 80s or 90s. 90, 91. For, for, for a network miniseries, that was, it was solid. It yeah. doesn't hold a candle to what people are going to get in a movie theater today. Oh, and the thing is like I had, like they made a few changes to the story, but mm-hmm. like 95% of it is what it was. So I knew which characters were in peril and I knew which characters were not going to be, you know, that were going to be there at the end. And I still, in the theater, was getting like, frightened and, and, and terrified like you know hairs on the back of my neck standing up and getting sort of nervous chills so it, it was an did an amazing job of making you care about these characters even though i knew which ones would live and i was right so they didn't change that much right really effective um and also and i, I tweeted this out the other day i have a few movies lines that to me are just like the, the epitome of, of movie quotes uh the ezekiel twenty five seventeen from pulp fiction uh, the the patience and time speech that Red does in Shawshank Redemption, every line from Young Frankenstein, and and there is now a line from it that is right there with all of them. Um, anyone who hasn't seen that will give away. It's at the, almost at the very very end, uh, Richie, he's the kid who was also in Stranger Things, steals that movie. He's he's awesome beginning to end. He has a line at the end of the movie that's like a stand up and just like plot in the theater type of line, and I was just like, that's awesome. I want a T shirt with that on it. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, probably. All right. With all of that out of the way, it's time to move into everyone's favorite part of the show, 10 Things. Uh, if you're new, <laughs> 10 Things is an improv game where we'll give each other a prompt. The idea is we will try to list 10 things 
and uh, immediacy is more important than accuracy. Keep that in mind. That definitely helps. Uh, so, Craig, you are the guest. Would you like to give me a prompt first or receive a prompt first? Oh, bring it. Okay. You're familiar with it, right? Um, I have not seen the movie, but I've, I've seen the miniseries multiple times and I have read the book. Perfect. Okay. If they did not call that movie, miniseries, whatever, it, 10 alternate titles for it. Uh, they all float. One. Um, balloons. Two. <laughs> Crazy clown. Three. Um, Mike Hanlon gets screwed. Four. <laughs> um, <laughs> Henry Bowers is coming to get you. Five. Uh, ben and Bev forever. Six. That's the romantic comedy version of the, of the, of the, of the show, of the book. Um, um, oh, uh, stuttering Bill. Seven. Bev's dad needs to die. Eight. Hi-O Silver Away. Nine. And Into the Sewers Again. Ten. Yay. That was ten things. Excellent. All right. Let me prepare. All right. All righty, sir. What are my 10 things? I haven't listened to all of these episodes, so I don't know if we hit something like this before. Um, but you've been talking a lot about con stuff, so I think maybe I'll pick your brain on here. Um, 10 things you've learned from organizing a game convention that you didn't know about conventions before. It's harder than you think. One. It's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> Two. You can't just keep doing a it, lot, a lot, a lot. It it's, it's a full-time job that you have to do in five hours a week. Three. Uh, it's a lot of asking. Four. Uh, it's a lot of maximizing minimal um, resources. Five. Um, planning is key. Six. Uh, Excel spreadsheets are your friend. <laughs> Seven. Uh, don't be afraid of form letters. They apparently work. Eight. Uh, people want something in exchange. See what you have that you can give them. Nine. Uh, prize, ra prize raffles bring in money. Yay! Yay! Ten, Ten things. I'm right. going to pass. I'm going to pass all of that along to uh, my convention organizing friend. <laughs> yes, if he, uh, I know we talked when I was on your show, but if he has any other questions, I'm happy to share what knowledge I have. Most of it is learning from mistakes, but that can still be um, valuable. All right, so let's move into kind of the meat of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. We call this used books, and the idea here is that we're going to talk about an old campaign that we played that probably ended terribly maybe not but usually it has and the idea is we're going to try to figure out what we can learn from it lessons learned what can we take away from it that maybe next time we won't do or something we we can learn from and will apply to future games uh, sure. i like to say it's like any good used books there's notes in the margins and we're going to read those and see what we can find out so craig you're our guest will you please share with us a campaign that you played in that we can talk about oh boy okay i ran this was over 15 years ago um, it was the kind of the beginning. I want to say it was like kind of the beginning of, of third edition. So like, you know, very early two thousands or so over the summer I had, uh, you know, I had, I had like a regular gaming group that happened during the year, but then during the summer, some people were unavailable. So I took, I put together a group that's like, okay, we're going to run like this mini campaign over the summer. 
one game a week. We're just going to kind of tell a whole little story in like two and a half months. And, you know, the characters got shipwrecked on an island and there was these, you know, there were, there were natives that needed help and there were um, like the lizard people that were threatening them. And there was, you know, and it was, you know, your forbidden island thing. So there was a, a hydra that was the big problem. I mean, these characters were low level and there was this monstrous hydra that they had to run away from all the time. So it wasn't a smoke monster or a polar <laughs> No, this was this was well before Lost. Um, and as we went along, and I had multiple uh, players who were either very new to gaming or very new to D&D. I had like one that was brand new to gaming and one that was brand new to D&D. Um, and as well as some veterans. And we got down kind of to the end and there was like this big bad, this big fight with the Lizard King. That was the, like the big, the big bad that, you know, once, once you wheedled your way through all the lizards and I had this kind of setup where like each of the characters was going to have something important to do as part of defeating the lizard king. And, um, one of the players who is a, um, a really good GM and a really good player and very inventive and, and has a, is very charismatic, got it in his head a particular plan and managed to convince all of the players to go along with it, which basically involved all the characters kind of buffing his character and it becoming a big fight between him and the lizard King. Ah. All of a sudden the other characters didn't have as much to do mm. once the, once the prep work was laid in place. And uh, it ended up being, you know, like they, they def- he defeated the Lizard King. The story was successful. They did all the things they set out to do, but it was kind of a letdown for the other players. And I, I think this this might have been my like my first time with a campaign where I had multiple people come to me afterwards and say, you know, like I enjoyed, you know, I have fun hanging out with you guys and I enjoy D and D. But man, that last session was just not good. You know, or they didn't maybe put it quite that way. They were, they were friends and everything. And so I thought, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of been in my head for a long time. Like, what could I have done to uh, to, to make sure that that maybe didn't happen or that it happened differently so that everybody was a little more engaged because it was kind of a letdown okay. um, to a campaign where a lot of the players weren't as engaged in the final session. So you had a good buildup mm-hmm. and just the, the climax for 90% of the players, or there's probably five of them, 80, 80% of the players right. didn't have as much to do as a little bit of a letdown. So that seems to be I, I can see that happening in a, in a lot of games you've you've had time to think about it so if you were to do that same situation again what would you do differently so that everyone has something to do or you eliminate that situation well i think i wasn't as good at improvising then as i am now where i think that if that type of a situation were to happen to me now i'd be able to improvise a little more quickly on the spot and invent things for the other characters to do, like I can suddenly come up with like, you know, if the, you know, if, if, if this character doesn't go over there and, you know, dislodge this bloody blah from the tree and it's a trap and, you know, it's going to cause problems for whoever fights the lizard king. And that gives the thief something to do, for example. Um, and it might be like an extended kind of trap skill challenge thing where they might have to get inventive and, and narrate what they're doing and maybe make multiple checks and, and do that for all the characters. Um, or have other minions roll in. I just, you know, at the time I, I had kind of had it in my head the way it was going to go. And then once some of those things got kind of, you know, busted, I didn't fix on the spot as quickly as I could have. Um, so, so my question, I want to jump in there mm-hmm. is, did you know beforehand that this was the plan or did they come up with that? Like just before the battle? Like that session. Okay. So we're in, we're in the last session. We know this is going to be the last session. I can't find a way to extend it and, and fix it next session because like 
we're going to wrap this session and we're going to get back to the regular regular group in the fall where these couple other people aren't as aren't aren't available or other people are coming back and all that kind of so I, I was kind of under the gun for everything right so yeah i think i just i just wasn't prepared for something that was going to derail things that much and i wasn't as good as at uh, at improvising at the time because that was the the and also on top of it i think maybe third edition was still kind of new to me so like sudden like inventing a trap and 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 the right and the right dcs for the the right kind of damage and the or the effect to make sure that it would be reasonable i wasn't prepared to do yeah and i think to, to me that's the first thing that stands out is if i had you know a week to prepare i could probably come up with something but in the middle, like, it, you know, in the moment, if all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's do this, whatever their wild and crazy ideas, it's it's harder to make it like you could probably could have come up with something that would have made it give them something to do. But would it have been fun for them to do is, is I think the challenge is like, OK, you're not going to fight. So you're going to do X. How is that? How am I going to make that interesting? How am I going to intersperse that with the battle? Uh, but you've had now years to think about it. So what yeah. would you do specifically? Um, well, I think, you know, I would, I would find those things that would engage people faster. Um, I would maybe, you know, like if I was kind of depending on the final session going a little certain way, maybe there was too much planning. If I was going to plan that heavily, you know, like I might spend a little more time jotting down possibilities of where it might go. You know, like I did, I didn't, I don't, I think I didn't, uh, I didn't take into account that it might go in some other directions, um, that I, you know, I just didn't jump on top of that. And actually, one of the things that I've thought about too is, and and this is something I I have gotten away from because I have thought about this in regards to this particular player, who is a friend of mine to this day. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but at the time, I was really intimidated by him. Mm. He was a really good GM, a really good player. He came up with great stories. He was really inventive when he played his characters. Clearly, you know, because he he came up with this whole plan that worked very well. It just and I, I was surprised that you know in in looking back on it, it's like you know how did this happen that he kind of pitched the other players to the side a little bit. But I I, I don't know. It you know. And my and my memory of it is foggy too. The other players might have been much more behind it, and sure. they might have been suggesting things too. But I think the biggest thing is is that uh, you know a useful tool is you know be aware of what your players can do, what they're capable of, and if you know a player can you know really come up with some wild stuff and be you know try to be prepared for that. But don't let yourself get intimidated by it. And if you see something starting to happen, don't just let that player start to kind of dictate. Make sure that you're inputting. You know, I'm not saying tear um, agency away from the player. I'm saying, but don't let them completely start to dictate the story. Make sure that you're inserting things that are going to get the other players involved, engage those other characters. So I think that would probably, I think I, I'm, I'm in a better place with that now. Sure. At the time I was very intimidated. And that's one of the things that I, I have seen that I probably am guilty of it myself, that, that when you, when you are presented a challenge in any role-playing game, you know, there's a, there's a type of fun, as Jim would like to say, a challenge is a type of fun that people enjoy. And solving that challenge in the most expedient way possible makes sense. And, you know, if D&D was real and we were about to fight four people for whatever reason, <laughs> then... Here comes the train. Here comes the train. So Welcome the, to my world, everybody. The, the train comes through. But... I guess I'm trying again. I'm tired. I'm not talking well. Like one of the things that I enjoy doing as a character in, in D&D games is, is to have fun and interject role play into combat. 
But that's a very movie TV sort of thing. If we were really trying to kill the other side, and if we failed, we would die as well as countless thousands of people behind us. Anything that we do that is not the most efficient way to kill a mother is wrong. You know, like it's not supposed to be cool. It's not supposed to be fun. We shouldn't be doing backflips and trying to get people to stab <laughs> each other and giving quips. We should just shoot them all in the head as quickly as possible and then move on. But that's it's not real life. It is a game. And, and that's part of the fun is when you're approaching a challenge, you need to approach it from, yes, we want to win. But two, we want to have fun doing it. So it probably made sense for to go one-on-one -on -one with the Lizard King and everyone buff this one character. It probably was smart. It worked, obviously. Yeah. But was it fun? It was probably fun for the one character. And if it was a story I was reading, I'd probably love it. But in a game, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, is everyone actually on board here? The, the first thing that came to my mind, again, this is armchair quarterback, is if everybody was buffing that character, then everyone should get a turn. Like each initiative, a different player at the table plays that character so that they all at least are rolling dice and making choices, that type of a thing. And that's sure. just a very quick fix. It's a possibility. I'm trying to catch up on uh, da -da -da -da, the uh, chat. They're all talking about the train right now. Yeah, um, sorry. That, Derailed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the other thing I guess that I would think about is, you know, th there is an idea, because again, that, that happens. I've had, I've had probably dozens of games where there's a one-on-one -on -one battle and one character gets buffed up. But if you live in a world where magic exists, there probably was someone like a judge who had been like, wait, uh, you're cheating. <laughs> you can't do that. This fight is, you know, until those all buff you can't fight this so there could have been very simple solution of uh you have to wait 12 hours to fight because you don't get to fight with bless and giant strength and you know eye of the eagle and all those other uh buffs that type of a thing you know that's kind of a rulesy way around it but yeah you gotta be a little careful of that because that's like okay the plan they, they sit down they put together this plan and then you go and now i'm taking your plan away right and that's a little it's a bit of a dick move i, I absolutely agree with that as well i'm just trying to figure out um that just uh, how to get everyone involved. I mean, you could have obviously had um, maybe the other side was cheating too. So they had like, you know, people in the crowd who were casting spells or they had like magical debuffs that were affecting right. them. So they had to move through the crowd and try to take those people out. And again, this is all armchair quarterback. I'm trying to think of other ways that you could solve it when you didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's there's and there's a lot of ways to do it. And I've kind of, you know, I know what you know, I know what I would do now. And it's mostly a matter of I I have a bigger toolbox now mm -hmm. of things that I'm, you know, I'm comfortable doing. And, in, and on top of it, it depends on the game and how familiar I am with the game. And, um, and yeah, those are all those. those Yeah. And the players. And, you know, and that, that was one of the things that fed into it, too, is we had a couple of players that were very new to everything. So I, I, have, I have a feeling they were very intimidated. They were probably intimidated of everybody. Right. To some extent, that might have been part of it, too. So, um, so let's move the direction to that, then, because that, that could be an interesting conversation. Is not just your situation, but what do you do when you have a dominant player at the table that seems to be running roughshod over other people and they're not comfortable or willing or able to speak up? Do you have any thoughts on how you can manage the table so that everyone gets an equal voice or equal time? Not not in this situation, but just in general. Um, well, I'm I'm better at being insistent upon um, 
you know, just trying to pay attention to make sure sh- keeping track of who's spoken recently, like who's quiet in the corner, but also knowing your players. Like I've, I had a friend, Eric in, in Milwaukee, he's a quiet guy. I didn't, I would never, pro- I would, I don't think I ever really prompted him for anything because I knew that when he had something to say, he was going to say it. It was going to be useful or it was going to be funny. It was going to be entertaining. It was going to benefit the party, whatever it needed to be. But, the, you know, if, when I know I've got players that are perhaps, um, you know, just they don't interject as quickly and perhaps they get a little uh, intimidated or overpowered um, by somebody that's a little more charismatic that jumps on the table a little bit more is to like literally just, okay, you know, let the, let the, the, the talkative, person who is really on top of everything have their moment say their thing and then completely shift the focus call that person by name um, whether you're doing player names or character names make it clear i'm talking to you and give them the opportunities to to interject and say what they want to do and if they don't have something immediately well you can suggest ideas or you can say well tell you what give it some thought i'll come back to you then move to another person that hasn't had a lot of a lot to say recently and give that so that you're not putting that first person on the spot. They've got a chance now to think about it. Um, and then you can come back to them. Um, and, and, you know, when necessary, if the, if the, for the lack of a better term, if the table hog, um, you know, starts in, in, you know, pushing back in and edging their way back in and doing everything is you might have to politely say, well, hold on, you know, like, hold on there. I'm going to get back around to you. I just want to take care of everything here. So we don't, you know, and, and couch it in like, I want to, I want to take care of these guys so we don't lose track of what they want to do. Like, you know, play it off almost as if I'm doing this for my benefit yeah. to make sure that I know what's going on. I'm not doing this to kind of slow you down. I'm doing this to make sure I'm on top of things. Okay. Yeah. I, I think we've, we talked about this recently, maybe, maybe even in the last episode, I don't remember uh, about how reading the table is a skill that is important to a good DM, but it's hard to teach. It's something you just kind of have to develop over time and, and learn and watch other people and make mistakes and, and figure it out. Uh, so one of the techniques I've done, if I have that situation is I'll just like stop and I'll go around the table, like everybody else be quiet. What do you want to do? Or what are you thinking? Or what, you know, what did you just say? And everybody gets an equal share of time and they'll say, okay, with all that known, what do you guys want to do now? Cause sometimes there'll be someone who's lost in the weeds and they're saying something that I know is the DM is, is good. Like they, they are right, or they're on a good track of figuring a clue out, but they're being ignored. And if I don't give them a chance to interject, the, the, the group may go off in a completely different tangent and, you know, I'll make that work, but it would be like, that would be a good moment for this person to shine. They figured out the motivation of the Baron and why this is all happening and no one's listening to it on top of the thing. Uh, so I'm a big fan of just kind of like out of the game. It's like everybody stop, go around the table one at a time. Um, I've done I've done something like that occasionally too, where, you know, like if you get far enough into a game, you suggest don't even don't even preface it that way. Just suggest okay, we're going to take like five minutes. Anybody who wants to grab something to drink or a snack or use the restroom or whatever, blah blah blah. And then I don't go anywhere, and I let the players who are still in the room they'll sit there and they'll they'll start. Sometimes they'll talk about Monty Python or you know Iron Man or whatever, but they'll they might start talking about the situation that they're in. But now they're talking to each other in very casual manner as players. They're not worrying about what they're is going to be as a character and how that's going to affect everybody and what it's going to do and whether their character is going to survive. And you sometimes get the player that's a little more hesitant to just be talking about, you know, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we blah, blah, blah. Or they're, you know, they weren't prepared to say that right. in game, but they're, you know, when they're, when, when everybody's talking care, not or in character or talking about characters and actions, but outside of the game, when they're all just chit-chatting for a few minutes, they'll offer something up. 
So one of the other things I wanted to mention there, um, if this were like a made-for-TV movie, Mm-hmm. You would take the shy player and you would kind of force everyone to let them have the stage and then they would blossom like a flower and be very eloquent and powerful and it would be a life-changing moment for them. In real life, if someone's really quiet, they don't want to be the center of attention. They're probably not speaking up for a reason. So be cautious about forcing the spotlight on someone that may not be ready for it. Again, if it's a TV movie, they will shine, but in real life, they probably will shut down or get very upset. Uh, and they maybe even, like worst case scenario, could quit the game if they feel all this awkward social pressure on them to speak up when they didn't want to. And another thing, too, is uh, when it comes to the Shire people, too, is it, it, it pays to to couch the, the question or the prompt with the right words. Don't ask for a decision. Ask for a suggestion. Mm. You know, they're not committing themselves to making a decision. They're just saying, well, hey, what, maybe, maybe this. You know, they might be a little more timid about offering something, but they might just say, hey, maybe this. And then all it takes is somebody else at the table to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. And then all of a sudden, now you're moving forward again. Right. That's fair. Um, I, I know I've mentioned this before, probably a long time ago in like one of the early episodes, but the game group I used to play with in Cleveland, we had one particular player named Sean, and, and it was... I mean, he was so typical, cliche. This was the guy that no one listened to. He was very, he wasn't confident in what he was saying. He would start to talk, and if everyone didn't stop and listen to him, they would just he would just keep getting quieter and quieter, and then he would just, like, stop talking mid-sentence because no one was paying attention to him anyway. And uh, there was a game I was DMing, and this was one of my worst fails ever as a DM, and I, 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 I like, it makes me cringe when I think about it. I had come up with a puzzle where they were trying to infiltrate this um, wizard's tower. But I I kept referencing that the wizard was a mathematician, not a wizard. He was a a mad mathematician. And the entrance to this place, whatever, um, was basically all these chalkboards. It's like a a circular room. Half of it was like chalkboards. I think half of it was a mirror or something. I don't know. Uh, but, But the way that you were supposed to get through is you had to take the chalk and you just had to draw a door. And it became a door. But I never told them that. And, and in <laughs> real life, we were there for about two hours with them just trying everything. Because, like, they got down there and the blackboard was full of these equations and symbols and all this kind of weird stuff. And I know for a fact that Sean said, maybe we just need to draw a door like 10 minutes in. But no one listened to him. <laughs> and I didn't yeah. stop everybody and say, hey, wait, Sean has an idea because I didn't want to give them the answer. So two and a half hours of real time, everyone, they were so angry at me. You're you're sitting there saying, I should have said something. I should have said something. I should have said something. 100% should have said something. That was my lesson that sometimes you need to tell everyone to be quiet and go, hey, we might want to listen to what Sean has to say. Because it happened a lot where he would be right and no one ever listened to him. This was just a very particular instance that I remember well. But I know there were other times where he would be like, oh, I guess, you know, that's the person who did it. Or I bet this is why. No one ever listened to him, and he was right like nine out of ten times. And if people, yeah, and if people get, if, if you've got somebody who's getting truly disruptive and they're just not taking the cues during the game, then comes the uncomfortable talk outside of the game. Outside of the game. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, I've been fairly well blessed over my years playing games that I haven't had, you know, I've been friends with all the people that I play with. And so when, when something like that does become problematic, like, um, you know, I can just, I can talk to them and I can just say, Hey, you know, you, in this last game, you did X. How about we tone it down? Yep. 
Um, and here's, and here's, you know, here's my reasons why. Um, and, you know, you know, present it fairly and, and kindly and you'd be surprised how quickly somebody will say, Oh yeah, you know what? <laughs> I was totally off base there. I mean, most people aren't trying to be disruptive or mean or jerks. They probably, they just don't understand. They don't have a lot of self-awareness or emotional IQ where they don't, they don't notice that other people are cringing or other people are crestfallen or other people are just sort of giving in because they don't want to keep the conversation going. They just think that everyone's agreeing with them. Or they're just really enthusiastic. Yeah. They can't contain themselves. They're enjoying your game so much. Yeah, absolutely. They're all that they into want it. To, that they want to engage. So, yeah. So if you just kind of you know talk to them about it, because we talk about it all the time. Session zero. Everybody take a drink. Drink a drink time. The other thing that will solve a lot of problems is an adult conversation outside of the game. That's probably the two biggest things that, that could, if you have a disruptive game or some sort of problem, just let them know, like, hey, I'm sure you have no idea. I'm sure you didn't realize it, but when you did this, this is how it made me feel. And I mean, watching the table, I could tell some other people might've been feeling the same way. Make sure that, you know, you're consciously aware of that, blah, 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 blah. You know, couch that in the, it made me feel language. You're not wrong, but when you did this, it made me feel a certain way. Well, therapist bullcrap. Uh, but most people will respond very positively because you're probably your friends. That's why they're or, at the table. Right. Or, or I noticed, you know, like when you, when you kept going on and on about this, I noticed a couple of people at the table who were, who just like, they all of a sudden shut down. Mm-hmm. Like they just, they, they were, they were getting ready to start talking about stuff and they shut down. And uh, I just want to, you know, I just want to make sure that everybody's having a good time, make sure that everybody's having a chance to participate. And you're probably going to get plenty of time because, you know, there's other players who maybe don't want to talk as much, but right now they're not getting the chance to right. talk really much at all. I think we've solved all the world's problems. Absolutely. Good, good talk. Good talk. Uh, so I saw Panda Death, at least I think it was Panda Death earlier, said that uh, they have to say twice a week, someone has said the correct answer already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Someone's already said it. Just everybody be quiet. Listen to everyone else. Someone's someone's on the right path type of a thing. Yeah, I, I suppose that's not a bad way to do it, too. If you get, you know, like you're 20 minutes past the point where somebody actually said the thing you, and, and they're getting nowhere, you can just say, hey, hey, everybody. I love that you're you're engaged in everything, but somebody already solved it. Yep. Start thinking back and let them and let them all start to do the the backwards thing. Like, okay, how did we get to this point? We were talking about yep. this before that. We were talking about that, and then this, and then this, and they can get back to the oh, draw a door. Okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. But Michael's in running the game, so it does make sense. So yeah, there we go. It's a little bit of meta gamey GME kind of stuff, but it keeps the story moving. Yeah. I'm sure all of my players would have appreciated me to say that 20 minutes ago, <laughs> rather than two and a half hours ago. Okay, guys, just draw a door and then we're inside. Alrighty. So with that, we will close up this used book and we will move into everyone's favorite part of the show. Um, <laughs> Where have my fingers been? Oh, Lord. So, again, if anyone is new here to detention, uh, Where Have My Fingers Been is an improv-style game where we are given a prompt from the other person and we create a scene that involves two characters that we act out with our fingers. Uh, The goal is to have a beginning, middle, and end, but I say screw that because uh, that's hard. So, Craig, again, you're the guest. Would you like to give me a prompt first or receive the prompt first? Um, I'm going to give the prompt first. Okay. Um, You have to start with the song. Yes. My camera's off center today. Where, where have, have fingers, fingers been? been? I said, where have, where fingers, have been? fingers been? Ba-dum, ba-dum. Um, when 
at the beginning of it when Georgie talks to Pennywise for the first time, but Georgie wins the conversation and things don't happen that happen. Things that the things that normally that would happen don't happen. Gotcha. Hey, Georgie, would you, would you like your boat back? Yeah, I sure would. My brother made that for me and he'll be really mad if I lose it. Yeah, your brother's kind of a dick. Hey, <laughs> what's your mouth, a-hole? Ah, and that's where our fingers have been. And, and and there's no more story. And it's the end, yay. Pennywise feels bad, goes back down into the sewer and sleeps for another 27 years. That's right. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Ah. All righty. Let's see, Craig. Hello. All right, you got to do the song first. Oh, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? But um, bum Your fingers have been... It sounds so dirty. It does. I, I kind of feel like that's supposed to be there. Uh, your fingers are still at the table after a very awkward situation between the DM and another player, and they have left the room to talk about it. So I'm talking to the to the other player. It's two, two players who are still at the table. The DM and the other player have left the room. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll call the, the, the problem person Mark. Okay. What the fuck's wrong with Mark? <laughs> he's got a very strong personality. No, he's kind of a dick. That's another way of putting it. Oh, hi, Mark. How's it going? <laughs> we were just talking about it. No, nothing bad. Nothing bad. Let's play. I got my D20. Where's my D20? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yay. That was where our fingers have been. And yes, the pain to death. I have always thought that that was dirty. But I just haven't really focused on that because, you know, just the way it's supposed to go. Oh, excuse me. So we're going to wrap up the show tonight with uh, cryptozoology. And this is where we take a look at a monster, primarily from 5th edition or D&D, but doesn't have to be. We're going to talk about ways that maybe we have used them in the past and maybe brainstorm some ways that we could use them in the future. So, Craig, again, you are the guest. What monster or monsters would you like to talk about tonight? Um, well, I, talk, I brought, it, brought this up to you to see if you had done it before. Um, and it's a little bit of a broad term, but it's not like super duper broad. But I was thinking about, you know, a kind of an oft underused creature um, type is the, the fae. Particularly the, you know, like the happy fun ones, the pixies and the grigs and the brownies and the sprites. Not the, you know, like big monstrous fae that, you know, beat stuff down. But like, you know, the, the, the nicer the ones that you normally associate with as being kind of maybe they're mischievous, but they're generally harmless. So the first thing that I thought of when you brought this up was Willow and the brownies. I don't know if that's what, oh, sure. what you were yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's that ranks. That's that's up there. The brownies, the, the, the two brownies that are run, running or riding around in the sack and <laughs> they're all they're really they're smart asses. Yes. <laughs> and they're uh, stealing stuff and goofing around. So I, you know, obviously elves are a big part of you know D D lore but they are often at least in the games i played somewhat separated from the idea of the fey even though they are fey they don't really have those same attributes at least seems to me like when i think of fey it's like the summer court the winter court it's these you know powerful ethereal beings that can bind you to them they can force you to dance until your feet fall off they can put you to sleep forever they can take your soul they can you know there's like this weird negotiation where you're going to lose no matter what you do because they're just better at that uh so is that what you're thinking or you're thinking more like the the fun sort of tricksterish? well we can hit on both i mean there's the fey are at worst hostile <laughs> 
um, toward toward humanity and the other, you know, dwarves and gnomes and everybody else. And at best, they are, you know, bothersome. Um, you know, they they can be an irritant. They can cause you know, cause little problems. I think the reason that the elves don't usually fall quite into that spectrum so much is because they're a standard player race, character race. Mm-hmm. So they have to, you know. You can you can have the elf that doesn't like the dwarf, you know, they did the, the standard trope, but you kind of need the elf to work with the group and kind of generally get along with everybody. Whereas if you stuffed a brownie in there or, or you know, or a pack of brownies in that little satchel <laughs> from Willow, they might be a little more difficult yes. because brownies are not inherently just kind of hanging around with humans and everybody else. Yeah, I think a good NPC, <laughs> not necessarily a PC. Yeah. Um, so I watch Supernatural. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. I'm familiar. Uh, I just recently have started doing a rewatch uh, where I'm going back. Because I, I th- honestly, I thought the show was over like five years ago. <laughs> so I, did and, a lot and then of I people. saw, I was like, holy crap, they're starting their 13th season? That's insane. Uh, so I decided to do a rewatch. They're all on Netflix. And there was an episode I watched maybe a month ago uh, where they involved pixies and, and sprites and that kind of thing. Um, and they were mostly tricksters. But they were also deadly. I mean, they, they their their jokes could lead to death, and they had no concern for humans. Uh, one of the things that they mentioned is that you couldn't see them uh, unless one they wanted you to, or two you had died and come back. So mm-hmm. they were invisible to other people, uh, so that you know they basically could walk around and no one would see them. Uh, and they they ultimately defeated the guy because this again I don't know if this is actual lore or not, uh, but basically if you take salt and pour it out in front of a fae, they, they are compelled to count each grain. Okay. So they were able to pour out a you know a thing of table salt, and the, the fae had to sit down and was just starting to count all the grains, and that was a, the way to, they, they were able to get away from it. So I really like the idea of that they're tricksters, that their jokes can lead to death, and they just don't have any compassion. It's like it's, it's all funny to them, whether you're inconvenienced or you're dead. Uh, right. And I like the fact that they're invisible unless some condition has been met. Uh, de- death and comeback may not work for a D&D game, but something like that. And I, I like the idea that there's these mundane ways that you can offset them. I know cold iron is a common one in the lore, but like, you know, like the salt thing, there's something that you can do that if someone's experienced with them, like, yeah, I can take care of Faye. I got a pitcher of salt. I just I like those three elements. So, have you used any of those or anything similar in your game? Um, well, I've done some of the you know some of the standard tropes where you have like the fairy circle. You know, if you fall asleep or you chant in a in a circle of mushrooms, you know, it transports you over to the fairy realm. And back in the fourth you know fourth edition, I was running a campaign where the fae played a, a prominent role, and we had that whole thing happen too, where they you know that got you over to the fae wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the, so the characters went over there, did some stuff, came back and I had, uh, you know, like the, the, the basis of the campaign was that, um, like the Fae see themselves as part of nature and nature is eternal. And that's why they don't care about death because they are part of nature and nature will be there forever. Um, so even after they're gone, they're still there. Um, and they, so, you know, I, I tried to latch on to little things about them that were like, a little weird, a little odd that made them a little alien, but not monstrously so. Just odd and a little hard to to figure out. Um, and so, you know, I had I had a um, a pixie character that was an NPC, was a recurring character that they they dealt with, who became like you know a uh, he provided some information and and but what happened was over the course of the campaign he changed because 
the summer court and the winter court. And he was one of those Fae that was very strongly influenced by it. So he started out very friendly and helpful in the spring and the summer. And then as autumn, when they started to deal with him in autumn and winter, now he was providing less useful information and sometimes outright lying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I gave him, I gave, I gave him cues. Like he started out with a very festive hat that he loved to wear. And he like he loved to talk about his, his, his hat collection. And as the, as the story went along, his hats went darker and more dour. Um, and, uh, you know, so I did things like that. And there was uh, like the, the, the basics of the story was there was a, a forest that was, um, I don't want to say corrupted in that it wasn't corrupted in that it was dying, but it was, it was, it was, ch- it was changed to be the more sublime, darkly beautiful version of a forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of like the Feywild has light parts and dark parts. Um, and it was the dark part of the Feywild and it was creeping into the world. And there were Fey who were secretly feeding this machine of this forest that was taking over more and more forests as it went. And when the campaign began, it was getting to the point where it was starting to threaten the character's hometown. And that kind of set the story off. Um, and so, you know, and then I got to invent you know, fake character ideas or, uh, and you know, monster ideas and stuff. Take stuff from Changeling. I don't know if you've ever played Changeling from White Wolf. Um, that's a great uh, game for just a lot of ideas because it's all, it's all fake. It's all fairy folk. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting variations on different types of fae in there. I, you know, I, I created my own um, red caps because the, at the time there were no red caps in fourth edition and red caps are, you know, they're a little short, nasty, evil, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're, they're tough. They're, they're fightery. Um, they're red. Their caps are red because they dip them in blood. Um, do it. And they have to keep, and they, you know, and they feel compelled to continually dye their caps. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I invented that and I had a, you know, even an undead that was like, what happens if a phase soul is destroyed while it's still in its body and it leaves behind this shell of the phase self that is no longer Fey, but kind of um, masquerading as Fey, um, in a, you know, grotesque manner. And, and, and that became a real threat to the Fey who were not concerned about dying because they found out that, oh my gosh, when these things are created, they're really dead. Like this body is left behind and their soul is gone. They haven't become part of nature. They are no longer connected. Um, so like, yeah, I just tried to latch on to like just little things that could make them a little bit alien, a little bit occasionally, but not too often grotesque. Um, because they do live outside of the, you know, humans and dwarves and halflings and everybody else. Woo! <laughs> everybody on the Fey train. Yeah. You're getting there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of the, the stories I've read, pretty common, you know, the lore that someone accidentally gets transported into the Fae some way. Again, they fall asleep in a circle or eat the wrong mushroom, whatever. Right. Um, so one idea I could think of is is to sort of switch that up and, and you have a Fae come to this world. And it's almost like the escort mich- mission, except in this case, the person you're escorting is more powerful than you and can kill anything. And your job is to keep it from killing everything because it's just trying to play with toys. So you know, you're just trying to get this person back to the Fae and they're like, oh, what's that? I've never seen one of those before. And they, you know, they do a thing and kill somebody or, you know, start a forest fire or whatever. You know, give them some kind of weird powers where they're they're just playing with people because they don't understand them. But your job isn't to kill them. One, you probably you couldn't. So you're just trying to get them somewhere. I just like the idea of turning the escort mission on its head a little bit where rather than keeping them safe, you're trying to keep people safe from them. Sure. Um, you could play off of the idea of the green children, um, which is a bit of lore 
from uh, Europe. I'm pretty sure it's from the British Isles, um, where the the Fey, the Fey folk, would learn through their various divinations and, and portents that certain human beings were going to cause problems for them at some point in the future. So to um, deal with that problem, they would steal the, uh, the, the, the person, the human, as a child and take them to the fairy realm and ensorcel them in such a way that they never grow up mentally. They physically grow. So you end up with these grown people who are still completely childlike and will never become the problem that the Fae had. And so I thought, you know, what about, what, what can you do with that? And that could be... I mean, they're certainly, you know, rescuing the child that's just been abducted. But what about the child that was abducted 30 years ago and is now a 35-year-old person in physical form? But it's, you know, the, the, you know, the, there's people that would be de- dependent upon them. Like this person's parents are ailing and need their their child to to take care of them in their right. in their waning years. Or, or it could be politically motivated. There could be stuff having to do with nobles and kings and all that stuff too. Um, how do you get? how do you restore a person who has been ensorcelled in such a way is, is, is their adult mind and self trapped somewhere? Is it buried away in the, in the, in the, in the green child's mind? Is it, has it been stolen and placed somewhere in the Feywild that you have to go and get it and restore it into them? Um, well, my first thought is that's like minority report. You're basically being you know, convicted of a crime you haven't done yet. Um, but yeah I, yeah, I do like the idea that their mind is somewhere, you know, there's like this, uh, you know, a museum somewhere of all these crystals, and every crystal is a mind that could be taken back and inserted in some way, and they could be, <laughs> if, if not like fully healed, they would get the ability to learn again. Like their mind would be, they know, could catch up. They could catch up. Like they're not instantly a thirty-five-year-old, but their mind will now allow them to learn and grow as as normal uh, type of thing. I, I think that's a cool uh, sort of. Uh, an idea because then you get to that that moment that i like where okay you're there because you need to get so-and-so's mind they're important they're the you know they they were this the fourth line of the king weren't supposed to be important something happened the other three people are dead and this person's now going to be the king or the emperor or the baron whatever and if they don't assume the throne civil war or maybe there's another kingdom that's going to attack whatever super important person we have to get their mind back we go through this adventure we get there there are thousands of minds. <laughs> do we take all of them? What do we do with them? Like, we, like we're going to solve our problem, but what's the moral obligation? Yeah, what are we? That there are thousands of others. Who are we leaving to not be able to grow and become themselves by leaving these hundreds behind? And like, what's the price? Does one of the PCs have to willingly exchange their mind and self-sacrifice to free? This person, like, is that is that the only way or is that one of the ways that you could get it out? It's like, you know, two for one deal type of a thing. Like, I, I could see some good gray area moral quandaries in that type of scenario. Well, here's here's a moral quandary for you. One of these uh, minds that has been stolen away and stored in a crystal or, a you know, fruit hang, hanging off a tree or whatever. Um, yes, if that person were to grow older, they would be a problem for the fae. And, you know, we as the adventurers come in there, well, that's not our problem. This person should be able to grow and, and, and you know, have a full life and everything. But you also learn their entire history. They're also going to be a problem for people. They're going to cause, cause death and misery. They're going to do some terrible things to the people of your kingdom. You know, they're going to do a terrible thing to your character's parents. Mm. You know, like, okay, well, now... 
where's the line? People say D&D can't get all so, morally, whoa, what do we do? So my thought <laughs> it's all is, just killing monsters. <laughs> is we, we take someone else's mind and put it into the person so that they have a mind, but they don't. And, and then, then you get into the whole destination. Like, would they still then fulfill that prophecy, more or less, or that, that timeline if it's a different mind, but it's still their body? You know, yeah. what what is the the thing, the element that will cause that to come true? Well, just the the fact that they've been stolen by the Fae and then restored. If they know that, does that make them change their opinion, or is that, or what, does it redouble their efforts? Well, is, is, is that, that what caused it? Is it right. a self fulfilling prophecy? If if they had never been messed with, but because they were tortured, and because maybe their parents died because they were not able to help them in their time of need because they were an invalid at that time now they hate Faye, and that's what starts them on this path to cause problems right do you you know does your time traveling cause the incident that caused your time traveling right. <laughs> and if there's, and if there's a magic dagger it's a typical michael campaign we got powers and magic daggers and time travel we're good to go uh, yeah i think that could be very interesting um, I do like the idea of just uh, nuisance brownies, you know, again, a couple of just two little buggers, you know, breaking things and getting drunk and, you know, insulting people and just being, you know, a, a hassle, but hopefully comic relief, but not, you know, like a game or character killing problem. Weird little quirks of personality is something I've used before, too. They went in a, in a campaign once the characters came across a, uh, a fey creature who... Um, wanted to be helpful, but was cursed. And they, they nope, they didn't know this coming in. The, 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 the players had to figure it out over the course of multiple conversations with this, with this NPC. They, the NPC was cursed that they could, that when they spoke, they would speak one sentence of the truth and then a lie, and then the truth and then a lie. And I had to keep track of that, of course. And it always, it was always based on, you know, I worked it out in such a way that it was always based on like when they had last talked to this group. So I would have like, okay, last time you guys talked to this guy, the last thing he said was the truth. So the next time you come back, I have to know the first thing he's going to say to you is a lie. And you start being, you start very subtly. You don't make it clear that he's lying. Right. But then every so often you interject an obvious lie and they start to figure out, okay, he's, he's up to something. It took like three significant, really interesting role-playing conversations before they, they figured it out. It was like, it became this whole puzzle, like this word puzzle that worked up. It was a lot of fun. Right. Uh, so just to self-congratulate, um, I was a guest on the GM Showcase podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. It's one that the uh, the DMs block guys put on. Uh, and I played a character who was cursed by a fae that I could only lie. So the entire <laughs> game, everything I said was a lie. But I had to say it in a way that it made sense in the moment as if I, what I was saying was the truth. And I will say I thought I did a really good job. Go listen to it. You'll see if you agree with me. But I kept saying, I was really snarky. So I kept telling people, you're really important. I'm glad I met you. You're a valuable member of this team. And that was pretty much the opposite of what I was saying. So no one knew that I was just being a total jerk to them the whole time. It seemed like I was being really nice. So go listen to that and you can tell me if you thought I did a good job because I think I did. Um, I'm actually going to be having um, capers on there in the not-too-distant future. Um, Panda Death here makes a, a comment. The player who always tries to be the contrarian at the table is, and break the system could be the one who plays the brownie. <laughs> now, it's almost I, I said, like giving them a carte blanche, though, to do that. It's, it's, until, until they get their character killed, and then they have to come up with a new, yeah. a new way to be the contrarian. <laughs> 
It's like that, brown, that brownie's going to get stabbed in the neck pretty fast. <laughs> it's like, well, their their uh, they were their body was they're dead. Their soul went back to the Feywild. We have to go get it. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> I think it's just fine over there. It's Thursday, I got this thing. So yeah, we're good. <laughs> awesome. Um, so anything else about Faye you can think of you want to talk about? Oh. I mean, there's there, just just to, to, to throw it out there to people without getting into a lot more details. Like I said, you know, look at other games that feature the Faye. And when we, it is the, the world of the Internet. It is, you know, there's a, a, a ton of information out there. There are lots of interesting Faye creatures from cultures other than, you know, our, the, 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 the stuff that we typically see associated with um, the, the British Isles, with Ireland. Um, and with, you know, uh, uh, some of the things that are you know kind of come out of Greek mythology, like water myriads and so forth um you know there's 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 really interesting things that come out of like eastern europe and germany um there's uh there's all sorts of interesting fey type creatures that um come out of uh the the southeast asia you know with with very different you know and and, and they're all colored by their culture so i mean you can almost go through and just grab a few of these if you want to have fey that are a little alien if you're playing a game that's kind of a medieval swords and sorcery thing, just go pull Fey out of some other culture. They'll be Fey. They'll be sufficiently Fey, but they'll be a little alien because the, their Feyness will be colored by that culture. And so you can just come up with a reasoning why, you know, how that fits into your world um, and just kind of build from there. Build, uh, build from there. Yeah, steal liberally. That's uh, that's one of the oh, yeah, absolutely. good DM. Um, so before we move into question and answers, in case there's anybody listening that would like to ask some questions, I think, Craig, didn't you have something you were hoping to maybe give away to someone who might be with us tonight? Oh, we did talk about that. Okay, I wasn't sure if you had seen that post. How many people we got in the chat here? Ten, what I see, but that doesn't mean they're okay. chatting. Okay, well, there's a handful that are chatting. So everybody in the chat... Um, I've got a preview edition of my game Capers, which is a like a, it's a superpowered game of 1920s gangsters. So you're playing gangsters, um, but you've got superpowers, but they're you know they're not super duper powers. They're you know street level X Men type characters, basically with with cool abilities, but nobody's indestructible. Um, and I've got you know that that's going to be going to Kickstarter in the first uh, quarter or so of next year. But I'm going to um, go with uh um a, i've got a preview edition that's just like 44 pages it's the bare bones it's enough to to give the game a spin and i'm going i think maybe i want to give away a copy of the pdf of that this will be the first this will be like the first person that's ever going to get a hold of this thing other than me i've got a proof okay. copy that's like sitting right here Woo-hoo. um that uh that i can give that pdf to somebody so how do we might, want to do this? Do the, game to... might, the game might change a touch between now and final publication, but it's pretty well set. All right. So how do you want to do this? Like first person to email you, pick a number, close. No, no, no. I got, I got an idea. Okay. Um, let's do this. Everybody in the chat, I'm going to ask you a question in just a second. Um, when I ask that question, you have to answer by typing your answer into the chat. It has to be an actual answer to the question. It can't be gibberish. No QWERTY. Um, it needs to be. Uh, it needs to be spelled, capitalized, and punctuated correctly. I'm out. You need, you need to put a real answer in the chat. The first person to answer the following question: Who's your favorite superhero? Waiting. We're waiting. 
<laughs> Batman. Spider-Man. <laughs> okay, I think we got Batman with Jared. O, uh, Jared. T-R-O-8. Jared, <laughs> um, Jared, I need you to email me at nerdburgergames.com. Or, no, sorry, nerdburgergames at gmail.com. I'm going to type that in here yep. so you can see it. Oh, you know what? It won't let me post the whole thing, so I'm going to do with the at nerdburgergames at the Gmail. Nerd as in what we all are. Burger as in, you know, mm, tasty burger games, <laughs> as in games. Um, at the Gmail. And uh, I will keep an eye out for that. And I will, uh, I'll send you a PDF of uh, capers, the very first that I'm giving to anybody. This is our first uh, Twitch giveaway. Apparently that's a thing. Like all the other people I see that are actually successful at Twitch are always giving crap away. We haven't yet, so maybe that's why we aren't, you know, getting thousands of followers. But uh, there we go. Uh, You're welcome, that, Jared. That's our first one, and uh, there might be more in the future. I'll tease that. There were a couple of questions that came up, so I want to cycle back up to those. Uh, so, Shortmanian444 asks, what mechanic are you most proud of designing? So, I am an armchair designer at most. I, <laughs> I have tinkered and played, but I don't know that I've ever... Oh, you've designed some fine armchairs. Uh, yeah, so I'm trying to think <laughs> of something that I designed that actually works. Um that I can claim as my own, and I'm not, I'm not sure. Though, uh, so actually, I'll go with this. I have a long history of inventing things and then doing nothing with them, and then later <laughs> someone else inventing them and being successful with them. Like, there's all kinds of things. I'm like, I invented that, and then you know, it was like just like a brain exercise. Um, I kind of invented Savage Worlds, at least the way their dice system works, back in college. <laughs> Where when I, I've talked about this before, the game I tried to design in college was called Arcane Realms. And the way it worked is you had all these different attributes and they started at a D4. And as you got more powerful, they, they went up the die scale. It was D4, D6. Mine, it was like D4, D6, D12, then like 2D8. And then do, you know, so it wasn't exactly just one, 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 one. But I'm, again, I had the idea of escalation of the die type based off of how powerful you were and then there would be a target number you had to hit so obviously it was easier to get there with the higher die types apparently it works because savage worlds is a pretty good game so too bad i didn't like do something with that <laughs> so what about you craig you've actually designed stuff so what uh what yeah. mechanic are you most proud of oh i mean i'm really loving the mechanic that i've pulled together for the next game that's coming a little further down the road um but I've, I've got to say, and that that's a very simple mechanic. Um, the, the, the the mechanic that I developed for capers, actually, Jared, you're going to find this out when you see the game, um, is it doesn't use dice. It uses a deck of playing cards with the jokers included. So you're going to be flipping cards, and you have multiple cards that you can flip. You have a, you know, the pip value of the card, two, three, four, all the way up to ace high, is uh, will determine the target score, whether you're successful or not. And the suit of the card determines the degree of success or failure. And you will be, you'll have the potential of flipping multiple cards. So you might flip, for example, a king, which is almost certainly successful, clubs, which is the worst suit. So you're barely successful. And do you want to flip another card and hope that you get a high enough result with hearts or spades, which is a better success? Um, or do you, you know, potentially end up failing and running out of cards and ending up on a, on a failure card. So there's a, there's a, 
an engagement factor and a uh, to the to the card flipping because you're paying attention and making decisions. Um, and uh, you know, and it's like everything's in the one flip. Like you can tell a lot of different information on one flip rather than, you know, a lot of dice mechanics are, okay, I rolled hit, I rolled damage, I rolled save throw, I roll hit, you know, uh, hit location, I roll soak, I roll, you know, a lot of stuff where it's like one, one card tells you everything. It's just that you get to gamble your success away <laughs> because you want more. So speaking of, of poker decks, um, I think I've talked before. I love Dread. Dread's a great game. I love playing it at conventions. I, I love my Scooby-Doo Dread. And I was trying to come up with a way to play Dread over the internet because I wanted to run a Dread game for the podcast. And it's quite difficult to do that if when you're not all in the same place. Uh, it's also difficult when, when it's audio only. Now we're doing video, so we could probably make it work easier. Uh, so the idea I came up with was to do Dread, but rather than it being a Jenga tower, all the players would have a deck of cards. There would be one Joker. You would shuffle your deck. And then rather than pulling bricks, you'd, you'd flip cards. Eventually, you hit the Joker. When you hit the Joker, that's essentially the table falling or the tower falling. So every time you pull, you know, there's that, is this going to be the Joker? Is this going to be the Joker? And there would be mechanics for you to, like, put the cards back on top uh, so that it's not like if you just screw up and the Joker is the top card. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but the idea was, would that be as engaging, which it's not, but would it be a suitable replacement for Jenga Tower? I don't know, but uh, that was my thought. Yeah, that's there's. I, I found myself thinking about the exact same thing as far as dice go with the with the the card thing. Like you can you can kind of get close to replicating thirteen cards in a suit by rolling a d twelve, and you can or thirteen cards yeah per suit by rolling a d twelve, and you can kind of replicate the the suit by rolling a d four in conjunction with it. But then you know there's there's certain things that you can do with the cards that you can't do with the dice. Mm -hmm. I think cards is a cool mechanic. I mean, I like dice, but I like cards too. Uh, so short manian forty four 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 also asked, "What is my favorite house rule?" Um, probably it's pretty milk toast, but I like the way we do criticals. I, I one of my least favorite things to do is to get, score a critical, be excited, and then roll two ones, and it's just like wah wah wah. So we do the thing where you get maximum damage and then you roll again. So if you get a crit, you're going to do at minimum maximum damage plus one and at most double damage. So what about you, Craig? Any favorite house rules? Um, I love using a rule that actually gets in integrated into some of the games that I've designed, which is what I refer to as the Indiana Jones rule, which if you watch, uh, for example, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you'll see that Indiana Jones fails almost constantly through that entire movie until it really counts. At the very end, he kind of does all the right things. <laughs> Um, so what I like to do is reward botches with future perks. Like if you botch and do something and, and create a great moment with this horrible botch or, or failure, um, you get like, you know, in, 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 in you know, in, in, uh, it might, you might gain a, you know, a luck point or a chip or a Benny or whatever, whatever your mechanic is, or, you know, D and D it's an inspiration or, you know, whatever, whatever the little perk thing is that you can give to people, um, as a reward for, um, you know, just having bad luck with die, die rolls, you know, with, with card flipping or whatever it is. Of, you know, um, 
smooths out the pain a little bit. Like, yeah, I failed here, but later I might succeed. So that could be kind of a fun little thing. Yes, especially when the de- when the dice really turn south on somebody, because you see everybody sees it every so often where somebody just cannot get a roll to save their lives. Yep. And- they, you know, in D20, you know, D&D, let's say they roll like five ones over the course of the evening. And then you get to the last fight and it's like, okay, well, those five ones earlier sucked. But you've got five points of inspiration now. Let's rock and roll. Right. And they get their chance to really, you know, kick some butt during that last fight because they're always they're always rolling with advantage. That's cool. I like that. Uh, Short Minion 444 also asked uh, what character what I'd like to play in any RPG uh, in games that have them I, I tend to go toward the wizard like that's just my preferred class um, I like the creative problem solving that most wizard class provide where you can use utilitarian spells or attack spells in an interesting way rather than just I shoot you in the face with a fireball I'm going to try to collapse the bridge with a fireball or I'm going to create cast grease on a stairwell because that's always fun uh, but as far as personality I have I seem to have tend to, tend to migrate to the simpleton who looks at the world almost childlike and is very innocent like when I'm playing with army in wrought iron uh, but I also like the the straight man in a crazy world where I'm reacting to everything like I'm almost like me but we're in a D&D world like I'm like like that was a dragon why are, why is no one concerned that that was a dragon type of a thing I, I like to find the humor in that sort of straight man in a crazy world situation what about you Craig um can can you, I was checking Jared's email to me <laughs> can you reiterate the question so, so that what I... type of character do you like to play in RPGs um I tend strongly towards the um you know the toolbox character, the the Swiss Army knife character. I'm I don't give two craps about being the most powerful at this or that. If I'm incredibly versatile, I am loving it. And I've got a my character's got a tool for any job, and I can fill in the gap for anybody that's missing that day or for something that just the party doesn't have. Rock and roll. I love playing. I love playing spellcasters. I love playing skill monkeys. Um, you know, like, you know, if, if you could do it with, you know, if, if I played like a high level campaign, like a, a multi-class um, cleric, sorcerer, thief, where you've just got, you know, a little bit of spells from those two classes, plus all the cool stuff that thieves can do. Boom. I'm, you're a rogue. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying that. All right. Uh, so Dirty Habernero just says that he wants to plug Redemption Pod uh, because they are part of the network and they are awesome. Both of those things are true. Uh, and I did not know this, but they have said that if they get to a thousand followers on Twitter, they will do a musical episode. Uh, so yeah, let's get on that, people, because I want to hear that as well. Uh, Shark Manny in 44, quick comment. Uh, is there a mechanic to reshuffle? Yes, there's a guideline for how and when you reshuffle, and there's a way for players to be able to just go ahead and reshuffle on their own, but you spend a point to do it. Well, that works. You have a, you have a resource pool that you that you work from. Um, so Short Manny in 444 also asked, uh, am I interested in playing a Stranger Things setting? Um, yes, 100%. Yes, I want to play in Stranger Things now. We we had a, a trial of Tales from the Loop set up, and that was going to be our Stranger Things equivalent. And our GM has gotten sort of uh, avalanched at work, and now with a catacomb, we're, we're having to push it back. Because we were, that was going to be our Halloween episode, and it's probably not going to happen now till much later in the year. Um, but absolutely, I would love to play a Kids on Bike uh, game. I, th- I think I would really, really enjoy that. I think I would rather play it than run it. So I'm hoping that this GM will be able to do that for us in the in the near future. Craig, 
Um, absolutely. I'm a child of the 80s. I love all those movies. Um, I love the show Stranger Things. Um, I have played Tales from the Loop. The system is so simple. You could skin that into almost any um, variant of that, where Tales from the Loop is very much about like weird sci-fi. You know, there the, there's the, the Hadron Collider and the, and the strange things that are happening. You could turn that in. You could, you know, you could very easily turn that into the Goonies. Yes. You know, you could very easily turn it into, into those types of movies, um, to you know, a monster, you know, a monster version. It, for example, well, and that's the thing um, is I, I bought the tales from the loop book and I really like the archetypes and I like, I like the way that game is set up. I don't really want to play it in the setting it comes with. I don't really have an interest in that. I, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, this is stranger thing. This is Goonies. This is ET. That's the game I want to play in. Not that there's anything wrong with the setting, but I just, it, I don't have an attachment to that. Set, the base setting. It's similar to those, but it's, it's far enough removed that I feel like they're different. But th- that was the first thing is I want to play stranger things with that system. Right. And the, and the, the game is entirely player facing. The GM doesn't roll any dice. So you don't have to generate stat blocks for anything. You just know what your threats are and you place, target numbers and, and dice rolls in front of the players. So you just, I mean, you can wing stuff as a GM so easily. The, the, the prep time to make it a Goonies game would be practically nothing. Yeah. But, but yeah, and the way the, the game is designed, it's very much kids don't die. Uh, your, your character never dies. They just get in trouble. They get grounded. You, you get know? in trouble, you might get hurt. Yep. Sprain, sprain your ankle. Uh, I like the fact that you get your item like you can have almost like a like a legacy item that that's yours that you can use once for just a free success. So if you're the kid with the skateboard, it, it, you can just say, "I skateboard out of here," and you have a little montage scene. You know, it could be your yo-yo. It could be you know, uh, uh, was it Data from uh, Goonies? Your little invention. Pinchers of peril. Pinchers of peril. <laughs> exactly. So I just uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a really cool mechanic, and it fits yeah. the flavor of those games very well. So, all right, I. Th- think that's all the questions hopefully we didn't miss any um so we'll wait just a couple seconds still you know there's a bit of a lag if anyone else has any other questions while we're waiting for that to catch up craig tell everybody where they can find more about you on the internet uh quick note jared yes i did get your email i'll be in touch with you um you can find me at uh at nerdburger craig on twitter Right at Nerdburger Craig, you can find um, all sorts of stuff about the game stuff that I'm designing at NerdburgerGames.com, um, and there's links into other things there. Like if you go to, there's a blog page with all sorts of information. There's a contact page where you can sign up for a mailing list and keep be keep be kept apprised of uh, when the Kickstarter is going to happen and all that fun stuff. Uh, those are the two best outlets to to see what's actually going on with me, or come to a catacomb. Yes, you can come to a catacon. You can pop into the occasional RPG Academy podcast because I've, uh, I guess I'm a semi-regular now officially. I've been on a few. So I try to pop in now and again. I check in with you guys and say, hey, do you want to talk to me again? <laughs> Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I appreciate uh, it. So a couple people are just saying thank you to us. I will say thank you right back. We, uh, I really like the show. It's, it's quickly becoming one of my favorites. Uh, I'm happy that people are enjoying it and they chat with us because that does make the show so much better and so much more fun for us and i want to thank craig for joining us uh here tonight so uh again sort of we'll do our awkward the camera's off centered i can't awkward wave as i try to find the button so just kind of keep waving almost there almost there Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, 
then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.